Welcome to Keeping It Marian. I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. We are two Marian priests, and together we join Marian keeping the Word of God and the events of our daily lives, pondering them in our hearts. Today we are Keeping It Marian by discussing the letter of Jude, verse 2. I was talking with Tim before we got on the air here to see if we could even possibly <laughs> triple our record so far and get through verses 2, 3, and 4, which sounds like a lot since we spent... That's 30. right. That's right. You know, for those who, who forgot, you know, we're going through the greeting of this letter uh, of, of uh, Jude, and we only got to the first verse, and that was it. So uh, I was skeptical if we could get past verse 2. Father Thad's a little bit more optimistic that we can do a couple verses, but we shall see. Hey, there's always hope. <laughs> but maybe just a quick side note is you'll see here in our different setup, we're in a different room today, but I decided to bring in our first class relics of St. Stanislaus and Blessed George. So they're under their respective images, but in case anyone might be wondering, what are those things on the desk? One is St. Stanislaus in the image of a candle that is melting because he was called the light of the Marians by the very early Marians who lived with him. Hence, it's like a melting candle with the Marians surrounding him at the top. And then we have the relic of Blessed George, like the stump of Jesse from Isaiah, out of which a shoot shall blossom because we were reduced to one Marian and he is the new shoot that came out and renovated us. Thanks be to God, because we wouldn't be here today. So... Let's keep on track. Yes. You want to read the verse, Tim? Certainly. <clears throat> the verse of chapter 1, verse 2 is, May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Key words there. Well, my professor mode comes in, and I want to unpack each word with all that it means in the Bible, but I'll, I'll try to contain myself, Tim. <laughs> well, we do have another triplet. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You have the name Jude, one, his first description, servant of Jesus Christ, two, and brother James, three. Then you have called, beloved, and kept. That's the second triplet. Now we have the third triplet. So we got a triplet of triplets. Uh, mercy, peace, and love. Wow. Well, we're Marian priests, so mercy's right up our alley. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and actually, as I was reading this, I, I always loved um, St. John Paul II's uh, quote where he basically, and correct me if I've got this a little bit off, but I believe he said that mercy is love's second name. Yes. Yep. Um, but here there's a distinction, you yes. know, that, that he says, you know, so to not conflate mercy and love together, but that there is a difference there. And I thought perhaps, you know, we could get into that a little bit as we parse this out. Absolutely. So it, it's important you bring that up because they are certainly related, but Faustina has this image in the diary that love is the flower, but mercy is the fruit. Mm. And it's a good image. And we say, you know, God is love because in all eternity, even apart from us, he was always an interchange of love. Right. But we wouldn't say God from all eternity is mercy because, right. well, God and, didn't have mercy on his own son because yes. Jesus, of course, didn't ever sin. He's not in a position of a creature in need yep. like we are. Yep. Um, but we are in need. Yep. And so any love that we receive from God by the very fact that it's not necessary, God doesn't have to love us, but he chooses to love us, is mercy. And that's perhaps something I want to capitalize on in reading the commentaries, the mm. Navarre commentary for today. They quoted John Paul II in Divis and Misericordia, his encyclical on mercy, that mercy is not just an attitude of pity to someone in problems, but if you look at the Old Testament, the prophets, St. John Paul II mentions how it's the love of a spouse for an unfaithful spouse, but it's a love that makes a choice which to me is of the essence here because it's not just, well, God loves us, so of course, you know, he puts up with us and God is love, so he can't do anything different. But it, it's a choice of predilection, you know, of, of all the things God could do. He, he chooses to forgive us. He chooses to pursue us, much like Jesus in the parables, mm. Luke 15, uh, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the parable of the prodigal son, that mercy is God's choice to pursue us, even when we don't deserve it 
even when we don't merit it. And in one sense, mercy is the key word that summarizes much of the Old Testament because time and again, we, we mess up, we do the wrong thing, and it's more a story about how faithful God is than about how faithful we are. That's right. So mercy is something that especially as a Jew, because Jude, we went over is just a way of saying the word Jew in Greek, uh, is very much kind of a summary. All that the prophets talk about, all that God desires for us and our sinfulness and our brokenness, may that be yours. Uh, you know, perhaps on another episode we can enter all the different forms of mercy. Mm-hmm. There's uh, all sorts of distinctions between chesed, which is kind of a masculine fidelity to promises, and rahamim, which is uh, literally comes from the Hebrew word for womb, uh, what a mother would feel for her own child, kind of the, the tenderness, the emotional depth uh, that God feels towards us as his children. Uh, but that this word summarizes so much uh, of the Old Testament. Do you want to add anything before we go to the next word? Well, no, I think more will come out as we continue on with this closing of the greeting. Okay. Peace, shalom in Hebrew is very common. Even today when I've been to Israel, shalom is simply the modern Hebrew word for, hey, hello. Mm -hmm. It's just their normal greeting. Uh, But that also is a catch word when Jesus rises from the dead in John 21, if I get my chapters right. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says multiple times to his apostles, peace Mm -hmm. be with you. And that's the fulfillment of all the messianic promises. So everything that Adam and Eve enjoyed, Eden, perfection, harmony, peace between each other, themselves and God, creatures, uh, everything. uh, When we think about the Christmas time, there's uh, the readings from Isaiah that the the child shall play with the, the asp and the snake and the bear or the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Uh, that peace, you know, lack of violence, lack of anything that's opposed to uh, against each other. So it's the fulfillment of everything we long for, that kind of order. Sure. Uh, and that, that also, I'm glad you bring that up because it's a kind of peace. But there's also, uh, from my understanding and recollection from studies, uh, a parsing out of there is the kind of peace which is the absence of conflict. Yes. But there's also in a sense, a more powerful peace, a more uh, supernatural, if you will, kind of peace. Um, that Because Christ himself also promises us there's going to be conflict, at least on this side of mm-hmm. heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet he still wishes peace. And so what would you say to, to you know, further... Uh, deepen that understanding of peace, especially in the midst of conflict, in the midst of the storms of daily life, because a lot of people may think that God is not with them uh, if they don't have that kind of peace that you first described, Mm -hmm. but that there's a a deeper kind of peace. Well, first is that's that's exactly why Jude is saying, may this be multiplied in you. The presumption being it's a gift that we need to receive. It's not something we just produce. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, my brother, his wife and kids in Houston go to Our Lady Walsingham, which is the head or the center, uh, the headquarters for the Anglican Ordinariate in North America. And in their tradition, they have a mass uh, used to be Anglican parish, came over to the Catholic Church under Pope Benedict, and they, part of their Mass was they would have the sign of peace mm. during the offertory. Now, they changed that, and I was curious as to you know why that request was made. And the Vatican explained that despite the long tradition that they had of having in the offertory, and part of that comes from Jesus saying you shouldn't offer anything on mm. the altar if you have something against a brother. But the Vatican explained, but also... Peace only comes about after Christ has died, only after the battle of the cross, which gets to what your point is, is that peace isn't just, you know, kind of like in the 60s and 70s in the U.S., like just, you know, make love and not war kind of thing. Right. Just like, just, you know, have peace. Like everybody just love each other. If only it were that easy, <laughs> you wouldn't have to yeah. uh, do such penance and, and try to grow in holiness with such effort. If it was just, we'll just be peaceful. Oh. It's not easy. It required Christ's death in order to grant us peace, which is why the sign of peace after the Eucharistic prayer. So for those people who still struggle, first is it's a gift, hence why Jude is 
saying, may this be multiplied to you. So it's something we can ask for. It's a gift we receive from the Lord. And also, if we look at Jesus, that peace of the resurrection only comes about through Good Friday, through him embracing the Father's will, even when that cost him his life. And that's the paradox of Christian peace is not everything's hunky-dory and you know life is just good. It's a piece of, okay, I have a commitment of doing the Father's will, and that gives me peace, even if no one else is doing it, right. even if there's mayhem and chaos around me. Uh, and that's the sign of Christian suffering. We all suffer, but we can suffer in peace interiorly. Does that yeah. make sense or is that? Yeah, yeah. All right. And then love, which is one of the other key words we could say of the New Testament, uh, agape, which is a distinct kind of love, the kind of love we see mentioning Christ on the cross, uh, that is what we call oblative, a kind of love that is a self-offering, a kind of love proven through mercy that you give time and again, even if the other person doesn't deserve it. But this is the kind of love when John in his letter says, God is love. It's mm -hmm. this kind of love. He is agape love. Because in English, we unfortunately have a, a Darth, a, a real scarcity of the words for love, ironically, because English has something like 200,000 words. It's one of the biggest vocabularies in all languages throughout the world. Yeah. And yet when it comes to the most important topic, which is love, I say, I love pizza. I love my bed. <laughs> I love my best friend. I love God. Sure. With all very different meanings. Uh, and I think there's a lot of confusion about that because you can turn on the radio and hear all sorts of love songs that don't capture in the least the kind of love that God is, which is why it also is a gift. Uh, one scholar described it this way. All the other kinds of love are more or less natural. Uh, if you fall in love, you know, uh, before we're priests, but if we were to fall in love, you know, me in high school, you, you know, in your marriage, fall in love with a woman, that's natural. Or if you love your siblings, that's also natural. You love your parents, that's also natural. It comes from part of human instinct. But this scholar said, but agape is something you have to consciously foster. Mm. You don't just naturally agape love somebody to the point of dying on the cross for them. Yeah. You don't just go, oh, yeah, you know, I wound up on the cross because that's just the normal course of events. No. Even for Jesus, that took three hours of prayer, agony, and a whole life of him preparing for that moment of embracing the cross. Yeah, and as Jesus tells his disciples that there is no greater form of love than mm -hmm. one who is willing to give up his life for his friends. Right. And that's the agape uh, love. <clears throat> that's right. So perhaps on my end, unless you want to add something to wrap up this uh, line, Jude wishes this upon the Christians. Mm -hmm. And it is God's desire. We say this is the inspired word of God. This is what God desires for us. Sometimes we wonder like, well, what does God want or, or what is God up to? I say God wants to multiply in our lives mercy, peace, and love. That's his fundamental desire for us. And as a gift that we have to receive, which is why we need to pray to receive that gift. Because if we don't pray, God could be wanting to shower that upon us a right. lot, and we're oblivious to it. And to draw from that, one practical thing for myself is, when I talk about like loving our enemies, doing good to those who persecute us, is uh, St. Faustina told the Lord, well, I don't always feel like I love certain people that cause me a lot of pain. And Jesus says, of course, no one can perfectly control their emotions. He says, what's important is, can you pray for them? Can you do good? Because notice Jesus never says, you should feel love for those who persecute you. He says, do good for them, pray for them. And practically, I would say, as Christians, what do we offer people? Mercy, peace, and love. Things that don't come from this world. You know, This world talks about all these kind of things, but it doesn't really deliver yeah. authentic peace. It sings about love on the radio, but doesn't offer the authentic love that gives us joy in our hearts. So as Christians, we have a privileged position of receiving this gift then sharing this gift and allowing God not only to give it once, but to have it multiplied is another way of translating the Greek here to not only have some, but as your translation, to have it in abundance, which is really the key, I would say, of being Christian. Like that should mark us uh, and not like, oh, if I don't have these, I just fail. But if perhaps if you don't feel these things, Bring it to prayer then. I, I know for myself, there are moments, sure, I don't feel a lot of peace because <laughs> I can be anxious. I can be like Martha doing a lot of things. 
So that's my time to remember, okay, Thaddeus, slow down. Why don't you go pray and open your heart? Because God wants to offer this. Because if I don't have these, then what am I spreading to other people? Anxiety, worry, frustrations, bitterness, all sorts of human things. But as disciples of Christ, we're to be ambassadors, you know, to really share this that we've received from on high. I don't know if there's more you want to add. Well, yeah, my my um, my mind, because you mentioned love songs a couple of times, <laughs> you know, and and I've always been struck, you know, from someone who's who's always enjoyed listening to just music in general, uh, ever since the '80s, and I've got you know a host of songs, you know, that I've always kind of marveled, especially since my conversion, at how close to the truth they oftentimes do come. And you, you could basically parse out levels of, of closeness. Some are talking about mm -hmm. those more cheap forms of love. But you have, you know, other songs like, uh, you know, Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield, um, which is so close to, like, the point. I mean, it, it, if, if not is, in a sense, the mm -hmm. point, right? You know, we get that, that language of Christ saying that I'm willing to lay down my life. Like, there's, in a sense, violence, especially in a fallen world, that there is no separation uh, of, of love and suffering, you know, and <clears throat> that so oftentimes um, is forgotten, you know, uh, that sometimes people will be in a relationship, but once suffering is introduced into the relationship, they're like, well, I guess I don't love you anymore. Or it's like, no, like that's part of the thing, mm -hmm. you know, as you, we started with mercy you know, that God loves us so much, he's willing to endure the suffering mm -hmm. of his children, mm -hmm. casting off all of his gifts time and time and time again. Like he endures that suffering because the love mm -hmm. is greater than, um, you know. And so I, I just, uh, I think that there's, there is a lot to be plumbed mm -hmm. even in secular songs because it, it goes to that primal nature of the human heart mm -hmm. um, that does, you know, basically bespeak what what uh, God says that I will write my law on on the hearts of humans, um, and and it is there, you know. So I think many people, you know, they can easily understand or or say, yeah, I have had those different types of loves, mm -hmm. you know, the I love pizza to I love my brother to I love my spouse. And then, you know, the, all the places in between. But, of course, Christ is always calling us to the highest form of love. And, and that gets back to, to what you're saying, that it is a supernatural gift, that it isn't something that we can do on our own steam, but that once we realize that it is a gift, um, that we can ask for more, mm -hmm. you know, in abundance, as the Scripture says. Mm -hmm. And Paul Benedict has a, a, a line that if it weren't, true that god truly is love then it would betray all our human loves which gets to what you're saying yeah. this idea that our human loves are a reflection albeit dim or bright depending on their quality of his divine love and man if we don't have god's love then yeah what, what are we singing about you know what's the point um, to conclude this part because i could certainly go on <laughs> is for me, the times that I recognize I don't have peace, realizing how much I need to then go back to the Lord and ask for mercy, to tell him in my need, hey, I'm not doing well. I need your mercy here. This problem's you know, worrying me. And I recognize when I don't have peace, I really can't love. And not because I, I can't will it, yeah. But because will, love is, yes, it involves a decision of the will, but it's more than just the sheer, like, I'm just going to will this. It, it's a real gift that I've received, and that gift then gives me such joy that I want to share that joy of love with others. So that's just a tip that I, I share with those who are listening, because it's something for me is paying attention to my heart and going, okay, something may be askew. If I'm not, my heart's not at peace, that's a call to prayer. Yeah. And, and to go to the Father and say, okay, I need mercy somewhere. I need your grace. I need your help. And that restores the peace. And as the peace is restored, then I can go on my way and I can share his love with others. St. Augustine actually in his commentary talks about kind of correlating these 
triplets with the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So he says like mercy relates to the Father, peace to the Son, and love to the Holy Spirit. Now, all of them ultimately have these, but uh, it is a kind of a helpful image. And I just want to read one quote, and we'll move to the next verse. But in one of the commentaries, there's a beautiful uh, summary of this salutation, the greeting. It's from Daniel Harrington. He says, This greeting provides a compact summary of Christian existence, consists in being called and loved by God, and being kept safe for the fulfillment of life in God's kingdom with Jesus Christ. And it is a life marked by the experience of God's mercy, peace, and love, which are shown to others in return. I think it's a, a good summary of it all, of what I've been, we've both been trying to get across in, in the verses themselves. Well, let's march forward. We may not get sure. to the end of four, but uh, <laughs> let's at least take another step. Yes. So now we're getting to the occasion for the letter. We've gotten through the greeting. And now we're going to go ahead and I'll read verses three and four. Beloved, although I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel a need to write to encourage you to contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the holy ones. For there have been some intruders who long ago were designated for this condemnation, godless persons who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness and who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay, where do we start, Tim? Well, (laughs) beloved. (laughs) The first word, you know, that, uh, again, you know, he's... The word beloved is is spoken, you know, I, obviously I think of Paul's letters, you know, when he's speaking to, you know, and and, um, and not so much a word that we hear really today, but these are his brothers and sisters. These are, and you know, sometimes Paul, you know, is like, these are my spiritual children, mm-hmm. you know, and and there is this this love, this this watchfulness, this desire to want to. Uh, guard and keep them to protect them from error mm-hmm. and that's precisely you know he makes he, he professes that you know he was planning on writing on one issue but some information has come to light and he's like i need to talk about this instead because this is foundational i would also pause at that word beloved uh the commentator here points out that beloved also shows up three times in the letter. So itself yeah. is a triplet and emphasizes Jude's real affection from his heart for yeah. the Christians who receive this letter. And it brings up something that's not totally related just to the letter, but um, we often talk about the differences between like Catholics and Protestants and doctrinal terms. But one of the things in terms of pastoral differences, pa- Protestants, not always, but many times capitalize on this sense of we are truly brothers and sisters in Christ, that your needs are my needs. And so they provide for each other at church and they really love each other. They, mm-hmm. they really form a community of people who want to be together and know each other, not only in church, but outside the church. And sometimes as Catholics, you know, we show up to mass because that's our duty. But we don't really know at all who's next to us sure. or what their problems may be or how to pray for them, for instance. We obviously don't need to get into personal issues with everybody, but again, for me, I I think of issues of the heart. Like, are my fellow Christians really beloved to me? Mm. Do I really have affection for them? Are they just kind of people like, oh yeah, you know, see them at mass and have a donut and drink some coffee and no? But I think that's lost sometimes because if church isn't real community, if it isn't real family, what is it? As it right. it's just kind of another activity, kind of a club, you know, like you go to the golfing club for a few hours and you do something, but this isn't just one activity among others. This is my eternal family. This is what we hope to be part of for all eternity in heaven. Uh, and again, this isn't meant to be like an examination conscience of, Oh, if you don't feel this, you're in a bad spot, but sure. just as an exhortation of uh, how can we foster communities where we truly are beloved to each other? where I notice if someone's not well, I'm interested to help carry their burdens, as Paul says. That's something that's saying Stanislaus to us as Marians in, his, uh, in two letters, and at the very end of his life, he told us as Marians you know, to 
carry each other's burdens. He really wanted us to be beloved to each other, uh, to mean something to each other from the heart, not just put up with each other and kind of show up to prayers uh, together and do work together, but truly to have a, a bond of belonging, uh, which I think is essential because the Holy Spirit works from the heart. So I just want to capitalize on that, that we sometimes jump over the word beloved. Sure. It's just kind of like formality. Yep. But I think there's a lot more to it than yeah. just that. Oh, right. You comment about some of the other things about him wanting to to keep. I, I don't know if you wanted to prolong that or extend that and protect no, his children. I, I think I've said enough on that. All right. Well, I'll jump then to the word uh, in my translation, common salvation. I don't know what your translation uh, put that as. Yes, I also have common salvation. Okay. So there's a really good description in the commentary. Uh, it says that, this refers to what Christ has done for us all and the way of life that follows from this salvation. So one of the first names for us as Christians in the Acts of the Apostles, the way, uh, the very practical kind of understanding of the Christian faith, that it's not just about dogmas and and uh, ideas. Because today we talk about like, what faith are you? You know, like, oh, I'm Lutheran or I'm, you know, I'm is you know Muslim and it's kind of these set of ideas. But there's something very concrete about this. So uh, Jude was very eager to write about this, presumably because it's a reason of joy. You know, salvation is a great gift, and he wants to write, as did Peter, Paul, and the other apostles, about you know, the basics uh, of the Christian faith and how to put it into practice. But as you pointed out, he finds it necessary to write that we contend for the faith that was revealed once for, or delivered once for all to the saints. So there are a few key words here. Uh, the word for contend is unique. It's not something that's often mentioned in scriptures. In fact, I think it's mentioned only a handful of times. And it is an emphatic form of a word meaning to struggle. And in fact, it's the same word for agony when Jesus was in his agony in the garden. And we often think of agony kind of like an emotional agony, like he was you know, facing the emotional reality of being crucified and scourged. Uh, but the Greek word here is like a wrestling match. Sure. And unlike our wrestling matches today where you have a ref that's like, okay, you know, <laughs> enough. Their wrestling matches were to death. That, that was the end of the Olympics mm. back then was you you did away with your contender. And that gives a literal idea of like that's the effort and the energy that Jude is saying here, that we need to contend for the faith. Um, one of the things I can say somewhat as a critique of the modern age is you know, we have people who are astrophysicists. They can make stuff that we put on the moon or Mars, uh, which is great. I wanted to be an astronaut growing up, and all the stuff about space, you know, fascinated me and still does. But we have people with PhDs for all this stuff, and yet know very little about the faith. Yeah, uh, don't dedicate much time to you know reading the catechism or listening to to basic things. Obviously, the people listening to us, they're they're listening to to learn about the faith. Um, but not only do we need to learn about it, we need to, to contend. So there's a few explanations here in the, the commentary that I think worth kind of unpacking. It says, you know, in the Greek culture, this verb agonizomai refers to the heroic effort expended in battle or in athletic games. Obviously, battle leads to death and athletic games too. In 2 Maccabees, it refers to warfare. And Paul uses the word to refer to athletic contests that we need to run so as to win. But most often, it's used to refer to contending for the faith as obedience. So it's an active word that calls for great effort and struggle, much akin to in 2 Peter 1.5 when he talks about we should make every effort to supplement one virtue with another so that we're perfect in holiness. So his point is what here? It's an active thing, much like going back to our primary theme of keeping it, Adam and Eve. Uh, it's not something passive. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I heard God tell me this and everything's right. going to be okay. Uh, you know, God told Adam something, a big dragon comes in, yeah. Satan, to test that, test his obedience. And Adam now has to figure out, am I going to do anything or am I just going to lay back? And his kind of nonchalance and indifference ultimately means he's defeated. He gives in to the sin, which I think is largely the attitude of people today. Again, maybe not our audience, but like in general, the culture. Yeah, I remember a conversation with Father Mark Barron, uh, with Father now Father Chris, our, our provincial, but he and I were novice brothers and we were driving from Stockbridge back to DC or vice versa. And 
was, Father Mark was commenting, the big problem in the world today, especially the U.S., is not open hatred for the faith, but just sheer apathy. Yeah. Sheer indifference. It's just, what difference does it make? I mean, sure. It, our kind of American heresy is just like pragmatism. Like, yeah. What does reciting the creed have to do with the fact that I got to put food on the table, take care of my kids, and advance in my career? It's just kind of like, whatever. And it's a very different attitude, and that's part of kind of falling asleep. Like someone who's contending, who who's athletically fighting for the faith, uh, they're not apathetic. Their their energy is a hundred percent towards this. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, the, this image has kind of come to mind that I think for many people the faith. They might think of it as something they receive, and then they kind of put it on a shelf somewhere. And that could be in a place that's, you know, for all to see because they do think that it's something to be, you know, seen. Mm -hmm. uh, or they might just put it in a drawer and close that. You know, okay, I receive the faith, next, you know, kind of thing. Versus, forgive me for the analogy, but I'm thinking of, the faith is like a football mm -hmm. in a football game. Mm -hmm. So you don't just receive the football, right. you run with the football. And you don't just protect and guard the football, but you also use that football to advance the agenda of what well, winning the game. That's a great analogy. You know, actually. that yeah. that you're you're protecting this thing, but everything is about that ball. Mm -hmm. Where is the ball? Is it there? Is mm -hmm. it across the goal line? And and really this is this is the only proper way. Mm -hmm to receive and then open, if you will, use the faith, um, that it's got to be active in all aspects of our life, um, that it's not something that you just sit on, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, it is an important thing, and this is, you know, gets to the excitement, you know, for Jude, is, is perhaps some of these people, they misunderstood this gift that they were given uh, of the faith, and they've kind of let their defenses down. And so he's kind of trying to reinvigorate them. And that's something that, you know, has, you know, seems to have to uh, have to happen like in almost every age, mm -hmm. you know, that you can look throughout the ages of Christianity um, and, and by extension throughout the, you know, the Old Testament that the Jews were given a faith, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. um, in God, you know, this knowledge of, of his love for them, but how easy you know life can distract us and how we just kind of like treat it as this nice thing that we respect but that you know we don't touch we don't do anything yeah. with it and it's like furthest from the truth yeah no it's actually a really good analogy because i even think this idea can i brought up about indifference or apathy is in football i mean if you just sit with the ball sure you, you get a penalty yeah. like there's a timer if you don't do something with the ball then you keep getting put back and you right. eventually just yeah. lose uh and People think today like, well, I have the faith and I don't necessarily have to do much That's kind right. of thing. No, indifference actually moves you back. Like yeah. there's no just kind of sitting on your laurels and just kind of hanging out in the spiritual life. Like you're either moving towards the end zone or you're getting pushed back. Yeah. And the same thing you mentioned, like once you get the ball, yeah, if you have the ball and you stand there, I mean, watch out. <laughs> Someone's going to come and yep. tackle you and it's going to hurt. That's right. Um, and it's a very good image of the spiritual life because yeah, if you have the ball, if you have the faith, like get ready. I mean, Satan wants to take it out. Yeah. Uh, and I've sometimes found this kind of, I don't want to say naivete, uh, kind of childishness that it's like, ah, you know, who am I, Satan, or the demons wouldn't be after me. Mm. Um, yeah, but the demons hate anyone who's in sanctifying grace. And like, if you have that football, you are the center of the game. Like if you have faith that's alive, get ready because there's going to be temptations. There's going to be attacks. The world is going to come against you. And we don't need to develop like a persecution mentality, Yeah. but we do need to realize just like a football player, he doesn't focus on all the obstacles. He goes, okay, what's the path forward? How do I get through these so that I can get to the goal, which is our actual salvation. Uh, so I actually, that's, I'll have to like sit with that in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps because uh, we, have, we had a benefactor who recently gave some of our guys the tickets to go to the Steelers game. Oh, it's my sure. first time going to the NFL. Yeah. So I'm not a, a sports person, but I want to enjoy it with the guys. So uh, it's a good analogy now that I actually have had the experience. Um, there was one other thing, but uh, it's escaping my mind right now. We'll, we'll go ahead and continue. I think before we went on the air, you had mentioned something about the next line. Uh, 
once for all delivered to the saints in terms of the deposit of the mm. faith. And you already hinted at this, that, you know, the, the football is something that's to be used. It's something in action. You know, it's not something you just kind of hold on to without being animate. That's right. Yes. The, um, what we were talking about is the deposit of faith, um, <clears throat> which is something that, you know, we hear about uh, in, in, the, in the church, mm-hmm. but oftentimes people don't exactly know what that is. Um, and, you know, we were trying to think of what's the best way to concisely, not necessarily our uh, uh, strong point here, mm-hmm. um, but how could we best describe what is the deposit of faith and how is that, you know, uh, how does that flourish in the church? Mm-hmm. And, well, what is not the deposit of faith and, and how would be the wrong way to go about that? Yeah. So... The deposit of the faith refers to like what God has revealed. So when we talk about faith, we're talking about something that we didn't come up with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that someone like Aristotle, you know, a philosopher, sat down and he could reason through things and be like, okay, this makes right. sense. Right. Uh, we're not talking about philosophy in that sense. We're yeah. talking about something that only God could reveal. And for that reason, not something we can then change. It would be like you telling me something from your story. And then me editing it and being like, no, 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 like you weren't married. You know, you you didn't do this. <laughs> and, and you'd rightly tell me like, well, who are you to yeah. like tell me what happened or didn't or what my heart believes or not? Like, that's your story. And we know that with each other. But what happens is in relation to faith today, because we have so many faiths, you know, denominations, it's kind of what we call like uh, cafeteria kind of Catholics or it's kind of a derogatory name. So I don't like using it too much with this idea that. Faith is of our choosing, you know, like mm. uh, if we don't like this pastor, we go sure. to a different parish or, you know, if we don't like this church, we go to a different denomination. And the problem that comes in is, wait, 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 either it's true or it's not. Like, yeah. We're not talking about stuff that is about whether I like it or not. Sure. It's about whether God said it or not. Yeah. And if God said it, then there's a certain objectivity about it. Kind of like what you said, like it's an actual thing. So it's like a football, like it's an actual thing that's not part of me. I didn't make it up. I don't get to determine its shape. It's determined by, there's probably NFL rules about, you know, how much the football has to weigh and how big it is. So there's an objectivity about it. And then the question becomes, do I receive it or not? There's a strong line from Aquinas in his Summa where he he says, if you deny one article of the faith, then you don't have the gift of faith at all, Mm. which is like, whoa, that's a big yeah, thing. Yeah. But it's helpful because his point is the faith is not just, well, I agree with the 95%, but I mm-hmm. disagree here. No, either you receive the entirety of it or you don't at all. Because he says, then if you start denying things that you don't like, it's just opinion. It's just, well, this is what I think. And part of what I, in my own mind, reflecting on this is there's a certain like Christian ideology out in the world of people who like, the ideas that come from Christianity, you know, that we should be moral or that there's order in life. But do they have living faith? Not necessarily. And that can go both ways, both to what we might call liberals, people who uh, might skimp on certain hard church teachings, but also on conservatives that are too conservative that don't allow for the faith to be alive. Because ultimately, we're not talking about a dead object like football. We're talking about the work of the Spirit, who is alive in our hearts. So there's this kind of interplay that I think we were getting at before we went on of, you know, there's an objectivity. It's handed on once for all. It's what Jesus revealed as what the apostles preached. Uh, and it's preserving that as the most precious thing. And at the same time, it's like a seed that continues to grow. Right. And so Cardinal Newman has a, a book called, uh, essay of grammar, the development of doctrine. I'm butchering the name, but it's about the development of doctrine. And Mm -hmm. he uses this image that you would presume that the acorn is going to grow into a big oak tree. And so if Christianity is like the acorn at the very beginning, then yes, the church is going to be a big tree. Now, is it the same thing? In one sense, yes and no. Right. Uh, No, if you looked at the acorn and look at an oak tree, it looks terribly different. But yes, it's the same because that's what an acorn naturally grows into. Sure. And so Protestants sometimes are like, well, where's that in the Bible? 
Well, okay, it may not be explicitly there, but neither is Trinity. You know, <laughs> right? Well, you know, it's funny because well, Christ does compare the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. You know, that grows into. So it's right. You know, I mean, it's he he tells us these things. You know, and a lot of the times, like even the, the the notion of the Trinity is a is a classic example of this. There's nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, where it says Trinity, but he keeps talking about Father, Son, and Holy right. Spirit. And it's like, what do we do with that? Like, we know that God is one, but, you know, so, and this this was a befuddling, and to this day for many people, mm-hmm. is a very hard thing to, to right. wrap the mind around. Um, but it's not something, as Jesus elsewhere tells his disciples, there's so much I want to tell you, but you're not ready to understand it, or you're not ready to receive it yet. Um, and and I can see that as as kind of a promise that he's going to continue to tell us stuff. Nothing that changes or reverses what right. came before it, but that that continues as you use the you know the acorn you know analogy continues to flourish and and unfold and and bear more fruit. Right, right. And I could run even more with the analogy, like you did with the the football, which I love. Um, is that you know. An acorn doesn't grow into a maple tree. You know, so you said like the actual content doesn't change. So, you know, development of doctrine is, you know, in the Bible, it never mentions the word Eucharist in the strict sense in terms of like the mass as we understand it today. And yet we understand that Jesus, the Last Supper, Paul talks about the agape meal, you know, so there's clear references here. But even in the first centuries of the church, did they have Eucharistic adoration? From all accounts, no. You know, they understood it was the body and blood of Christ. And it wasn't until really the Middle Ages that they began to have this idea of exposing the Eucharist mm. to adore. Now we yeah. have even perpetual adoration. Yeah. Uh, so that's an acorn growing into a tree. A bad way to understand this would be, oh, well, then at some point we can say, well, it's really not the body and blood of Christ. Well, no, that that would be an acorn growing into a maple tree. That That's right. a contradiction. Yeah. You know? um, but even if we think about the natural course of a tree growing, you know, in terms of seasons, uh, the tree loses its leaves. Now, oak trees, many of them retain their leaves. With, you know, a different one, use yeah. like maple. You know, part of it too is the tree, even one moment to the next, can look very different because it's green in summer, then it turns yellow and red in the fall, and then it's dead in the winter. And to recognize that the faith lived in different cultures can look very different. The content we know is the same because truth remains the same. But its radiance can look different in terms of cultures, liturgies. So one example of this is, you know, we talk about the Catholic Church. We often think of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, to which our Byzantine and Eastern Catholics would have great difficulty because they would say, uh, <clears throat> we're Catholic too, but we're right. Chaldean Catholic. We're Syro-Malabar Catholic. We're Byzantine Catholic. We're um, Maronite Catholic. I was looking at the catechism some time ago. I'm probably wrong on the number, but it's something like 18 churches in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And when ISIS, for instance, overcame uh, Iraq, I I never knew this, but there were like 2 million Chaldean Catholics there. Now, I thought they were much less, but I thought that's a lot of Catholics. Uh, but they have their own liturgy. They have their own language. They have their own customs, uh, all expressing the same, same reality of the faith. And... I wanted to spend some time, and I think you did too, on this idea, because especially today, there's a lot of concern about the deposit of the faith, yeah. and the concern that you know certain people want to do away with the deposit of the faith or just change it in a negative way. Uh, and I would say first is it's never easy uh, to translate the deposit of the faith, you know, biblical language, into 2023 or 2024. Yeah. You know. <laughs> How do you translate sure. Jesus's parables to the United States of America with our modern problems? That takes a lot of meditation, prudence, time, inspiration from the Spirit. But just because we're trying to translate it doesn't mean there's a lack of fidelity That's to right. it. Now, and we'll get into this next, Jude does point out there are false teachers and there are ways that people will adulterate the deposit of the faith. And we do need to be on guard against that. But we also need to be careful to not just think that anything and everything is changing or eliminating the deposit of the faith. Uh, Because we need to develop it. We need to be able to live that faith today, not just 
as it was in the past. That's right. Um, and that's where a good book, we won't get to verse four, so we'll, we'll leave it halfway today. But sure. uh, a good book I read some time ago was George Weigel's Evangelical Catholicism. Mm. And in it, he, he made this claim, which I think is just true. He's a, he's a historic, historian by trade, and he mentions what most Catholics associate with the Catholic Church today is actually the Catholic Church from Trent, mm. because Trent wanted to react neat understandably, to Luther. Yeah. So if the Eucharist isn't real, then we're going to really emphasize the Eucharist. If they don't have devotion to Mary in the scenes, well, we're going to overemphasize, you know, this. If they emphasize the word of God, we're going to emphasize, you know, the sacraments. Yeah. All of which in itself, like all that's true, all yeah. that's good. But his point was the Catholic Church also has 1,500 years before the Council right. of Trent. And that's not to eliminate it, yeah. just to say... And now 500 since. Right. <laughs> that that's not the only form of Catholicism. Right. And sometimes his point, which I believe is sometimes when people react to like, well, you're taking away the traditions of the church. saying basically what, <laughs> what happens is when people start touching the, the traditions that came from Trent, sure. the ways that we mark our Catholic identity as yep. like being super Marian, yeah. super Eucharistic, then people begin to react. Now... I'm super married. I, I love the Eucharist. I mean, don't get me wrong on that. Sure. But I think he makes a fair point. There's a lot more to Catholicism than simply the culture that was created in Europe as a reaction to Protestantism. Yeah. And just because Vatican II tries to move beyond, not forgetting it, but to be able to advance forward doesn't mean that we've just uh, you know lost the deposit of faith or want to be unfaithful to it. It's part of being faithful to it that we have to grow with it. You know, like a plant, like a tree. Yeah. Amen. All right. Amen. I know I'm throwing a lot at you and to everybody who's listening. No. But this is this is my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is important, and I, you know, we can you know wrap up, and we'll definitely pick this up for for next episode. Um, but as you were ex- explaining that, like, no, this part of the tradition, this is what you know. Mm. I remember we were arguing earlier on <clears throat> about a month or so ago. Uh, that one of our traditions as Marians, especially in the seminary setting, is to watch Lord of the Rings for <laughs> for Thanksgiving. And you're like, no, we're going to watch it at a different time. And I'm like, no, it's got to be like this is the thing. This is what we do at Thanksgiving time when guys are off school. We watch Lord of the Rings, and, and of course, yes, it's it is you know, like Lord of the Rings. You know, is 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 wonderful. The books are wonderful. I love the movies as well. Um, but it was just funny. That's what, what came to mind is, is yes, we can sometimes uh, lose sight of the, the greater picture. Yeah. You know, that the Catholic Church and her traditions are so huge and so rich and so deep. And we can, you know, basically kind of latch on to just a small portion of that and lose sight of, of everything else, which, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately all of these traditions... Um, should have one goal in mind, which is to, well, sanctify the world. Mm-hmm. Not just sanctify Catholics, but sanctify the entire world, that we need to continue to go out. And sometimes we have to do that in defensive posture, and sometimes mm-hmm. we have to do that in offensive mm-hmm. you know, posture. Sometimes it might be a bit of both, mm-hmm. you know. And so the, the church, you know, when we look at the rich history and this is just the Roman rite. You know, when you look at all those other rites that you mentioned, um, they too have had their own fluctuations of times when they've had to focus on this aspect because they're being persecuted, or this aspect because they're not being persecuted as much. But perhaps other religions are starting to water down their own. You know, it, it's a, it's a constant evaluation. It's a living, breathing faith that, yeah. uh, and constant movement you know, towards that goal of sanctifying the earth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. What comes to my mind, something Father Mark mentioned as when I was in novitiate, at the beginning of my religious life with the Marians was if you take your faith seriously, you'll never be bored. Mm. And if we think of the deposit of the faith, you know, here I have the catechism of the Catholic church. That's a good reference. And actually the, uh, the letter that John Paul II wrote to constituted as a catechism, I believe, has something in the title of Deposit of the Faith. Mm. So this is a good reference, and I believe what Father Mark said, because if you read that, 
oh man, I, I realize that I kind of like all of us, this is going to be a big claim, but all of us are kind of cafeteria Catholics because all of yeah. us have things that like we're stronger at, you know, yeah. like I'm really good at this, like devotion to Mary and Eucharist and like learning about the faith, but I may not be that good at like taking, taking care of the poor, mm. but like the poor is an essential part. Like it's not just a social thing of the gospel or just something modern. Like it is part and parcel of the gospel yeah. necessary to enter heaven. And I realized like all of us, I think kind of have our areas where we're strong and we're like, I like this part of the faith. Uh, and we kind of forget, well, there's a lot of other stuff that I tend to forget. And at least for me, that's also contending for the faith. Like Jude says, like contending to live my Catholic faith, like all of my faith, not just those areas I'm comfortable with, those things that I think are important, but all that is part of our faith, because that's what Catholic means. It's universal. It's the entirety, not just that little sliver that I like, or, yeah. you know, I know about. So we'll wrap it up for today and next episode we'll get back to verse four and the, the ones that come. But I always enjoy talking with you and hopefully those watching and listening. Always a pleasure. Enjoy this time as well. So uh, this is our pleasure being with you and we'll end today with invoking not only Our Lady with the Marian prayer we always have, but also our blessed Anthony and George. So. I'm Father Thaddeus. I'm Father Timothy. And we are two Marian priests keeping it Marian. Join us next time for the next episode. Saint Stanislas. Pray for us. Blessed George. Pray for us. Immaculata Virginis Maria Conceptio. Seed nobis salus epitexio. Pray for us as we pray for you. God bless. God bless. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to watch it as well. You can find the video version of Keeping It Marian exclusively on DivineMercyPlus.org, the streaming site for all things Marian. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you and God bless you. Visit shopmercy.org to order your copy of my new book, Shining in Spotless Splendor, Consecration to the Immaculate Conception. Again, this book is available on shopmercy.org. God bless you.